Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. And, uh, but yes, we're thankful for our veterans. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to uh, the book of Psalms 103 this morning. And uh, in Moscow, at the same theater where they hold the, the famous Bouchol Ballet, they were putting on an anti-Christian play. It was, uh, uh, it was very sacrilegious, actually. The name of the play was entitled Jesus in a Tuxedo. They had a leading Russian actor that was the leading uh, role, who had the leading role. His name was Alexander Ruskovez. And uh, he was the lead actor. And uh, as the play began, he was to come out uh, in this Russian Orthodoxy uh, priestly garb, and uh, as he would come out, he'd come to the middle of the stage where there'd be a podium. On the podium would be a copy of the Word of God. And at the opening of the play, he was to read the first two Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter 5. As he began to read, and as he would read those first two verses, he was to rip off his robe and begin to shout, Where is my top hat and my cane? As he came out on stage and he approached the podium, he began to read Matthew chapter 5 and began to read a couple of the verses. He began to read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As he got to the second verse, he began to continue to read. He read verse 3 and 4, read verse 5 and 6. He began to read all the way down through the Beatitudes. And all of a sudden, those backstage became concerned. They began to whisper. They began to shout. They began to holler at him, whispering, stop, stop, stop. But he became so overwhelmed with emotion, not knowing What was really happening inside of him later, his testimony was that before the curtain had hit the ground, he had put his faith in Christ Jesus. He said that right as I began to read the Beatitudes, the Spirit of God came upon me and I became overwhelmed with the presence of God. He said, right there in that theater in front of all of those people on opening night of the play, a play that mocked the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God hit me. He said, I felt so overwhelmed by the power of God that all of a sudden I realized the forgiveness in which I could receive through Christ Jesus. Frantically, in the play, the director was closing the curtain because he continued to read the word of God. And he said, before the curtain hit the ground, he was on the floor in the presence of God. And what put him there was this overwhelming sense of the power of forgiveness. We sang a lot of songs this morning about the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness is extremely powerful. Matter of fact, I began to think about that and I thought to myself, what other book could you read that could transform someone that way. Could you read John Grisham, one of his novels? Would that transform you? Could you read Margaret Atwood or Tom Clancy or Agatha Christie? Reading any of those books, would that have the same uh, effect on you? How about the classics, Dickens and Kepling and Shakespeare? Or, Or maybe the ancients. Plato, Aristotle, Cicero. What other book could you read? What other book could you read and the power of the truth of that book bring a transforming change in the power of an individual? None other than the Word of God. And so this morning I want to talk a little bit about, we've been in a series on freedom. We've talked about the overflow of the heart. We've been talking about Uh, the blockages of the heart. 
We've listed four of them, and we've been talking about them each week. And in, in the midst of talking about the blockage of the heart, we, we say that these blockages are keys to us living in real freedom. That if we give in to these blockages, we begin to eat from the uh, knowledge of the tree of good and evil instead of eating off of the tree of knowledge which God has given us. We talked about the first blockage being selfish ambition. Selfish ambition in the sense that we control our lives. We tell God that we don't need him in our lives, that we can control our own lives. The response to selfish ambition should be a life of surrender. Where we totally yield ourselves to Christ and his leading of his will in our life. The second blockage we talked about last week, the power of rejection. Rejection is very powerful. It's one of the most powerful things in our culture at this time. There are two ways that rejection manifests itself in our lives. One, by words. Words that are spoken over us. Whether they're words of others who have spoken over us. Proverbs tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. How many know that in your words you have the power to set the course of someone's life? James says that the tongue is as a rudder. And so we have the power with our words. Sometimes people's words have labeled others and they've lived out those labels or those word curses that others have spoken over them. Words such as you're dumb or you're stupid or you'll never amount to anything. And those words have been spoken to us maybe by family members or maybe by, by uh, spouses or ex-spouses or boyfriends or friends or family members. Some have even come from leadership. And church leadership and family that have spoken words over us, word curses we have believed and played out in our life because of rejection. Because love is the greatest need, rejection is our greatest fear. We talked about that rejection is our greatest scar. And we talked about shared four ways of overcoming rejection. And the Bible tells us this in Hebrews, he never leaves you nor forsake you. How many are thankful that the word of God tells us he never leaves us nor forsakes us? John chapter 6 says, all those who come to me, I will by no means cast out. Now, I don't know who's rejected you this morning, but I do know this. I do know who loves you this morning. And I know who has received you this morning. But this morning, I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness. And I want to talk about the power of Forgiveness. You've heard several messages on forgiveness. But in order to really begin to deal with forgiveness in our life, and, and, and the, where I want to get to eventually is, is forgiving others, the ability to forgive others. But in order to get to the place to where you can forgive others, you have to understand what forgiveness is. And you have to understand the power of forgiveness, not only what it means, but what it is in your life. To be someone who understands forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. Now, I don't read a lot. I read a little bit. And uh, every year I try to read a couple secular books. And, and folks have given me books and I read them. And I love to read occasionally. I'm beginning to start a book I'm really excited about reading. It's called The Soul of the American University. It's written by, the name, by a guy by the name of George Marston. He's written several books. Uh, some of his famous books have been on the Wesleys, and he's done a, a biography on the Wesleys, which is really good. And so, uh, but he's wrote this book on the soul of the American university. And what he does in the book, he goes back and talks about how that Harvard, Princeton, and Yale, all of those universities began by, were missionaries, schools. They were ministry schools. They were schools that were started to produce missionaries and ministers to send out to preach the gospel. Matter of fact, if you ever look at Harvard's very first um, uh, logo, I call it a logo or our thing, you will see that the picture has three books which are turned uh, down and one book turned up as the logo. And the three books turned down represented the, the disciplines of science, mathematics, and and, and sociology or, or whatever they were. And then you had the one book that was opened on top of the other book, which was the word of God. It represented that all, all of the disciplines of science and mathematics and all of those things were always seen through the prism of the word of God. 
That's what began are those universities. But then comes the 1700s and things begin to change a little bit in the sense in that we had what was called the Enlightenment. In other words, begin like men like Rousseau begin to say, as I think, therefore I am. And then they begin to see things through the Enlightenment and through uh, Enlightenment. And so now uh, they even took a scripture and took it out of context, Romans 1.20, where it says when we see the natural things, uh, God reveals him things through the things that are natural, he reveals himself. They twisted that scripture in believing that now man no longer looks to God, but man looks to the earth and looks through the natural things of life. That's how we see God and begin to remove the thought that everything is seen through the prism of God. And we have to understand that freedom this morning does not come through the disciplines of of knowledge or, or wealth or from all these things that we add to our lives in this world. Freedom comes through looking at life through the prism of the word of God. That's where we find freedom this morning. And we find freedom through the word of God. It's the power of the word of God. My prayer is that God will send a word of God revival to this nation. Where a hunger for the authenticity of God's word would begin to get into the hunger of people who would desire his word above anything else this morning. But what's happened is the enemy has countered with shallow church. Y'all help me this morning. 20 minute, 20 minute sermonettes that appeal to the mind and never the hearts. That appeal to the intellect but never to the transforming power of the gospel. I'm here to tell you this book transforms. No other book can you read where you can be changed in a moment. Just like Alexander stood on that, on that stage not expecting to be interrupted by the presence of God. He thought that reading the word of God in a sacrilegious way would somehow, all of a sudden, he began to read and everything that has been poured into him up to them, all of a sudden now, the power of God hit him in a moment. And so the transforming power of God's word this morning. And so we come through the enlightenment and, and, and they say, well, you find God through seeing through the world. That's how you see. You see God in the birds and you see God in the... That's why we have people in the woods hugging trees. That's why we have people not taking baths. Because they want to be earthly. Take a bath. Washed by the water of the word. Get zestfully clean. But we live in a world and so on through the years now, we've come into the 20th century where now we've come to the place to where truth is my own. In other words, you hear the statement all the time, truth is my truth and that's truth. Well, I'm here to tell you that God and his word is what truth is. But when we come to Christ and we come to Christ, there are some benefits that come with Christ. If you turn to the book of Psalms 103, I'm going to read to you a passage of scripture here. And in this psalm, what we have is, is we have a psalm where David begins to speak to his own soul. David here is cast down. He's disappointed. He's living in a place of, of discouragement. Has anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been in the place of the skirt? Now here's a man who, 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 who worshiped, a man who led a nation in worship, yet he too had to battle discouragements. That tells us that there's a humanity about us all. We all battle depression. We all battle difficulties at times, sometimes more or less than others. But here David has come to the place and he says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. In other words, David is speaking to his soul. He's speaking to his inner man. I will bless the Lord, he says. I will bless the Lord. Listen, when you're feeling down and discouraged and depressed, you have to speak to your soul to be encouraged by the promises of God. David said, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless his holy name. 
And as David reads through here, you will see that there are Bible benefits that we have as believers, as Christians, as coming to Christ. Benefits are wonderful. Most of you have jobs. When you're starting a new job, most of the time you you can make decisions on whether or not you'll take that job based on the benefits that you get. Whether you have insurance or whether you have retirement or vacation, all of those are the benefits of working for that company or coming under the heading of that company. And when we became a believer, we also got some benefits. And Psalms 103 tells us of all of the benefits that the believer has access to. These benefits come with your freedom. These benefits come with knowing Christ. These benefits come with knowing Jesus as your Savior. Verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. <laughs> Woo, that's good, right? Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who remembers your life from the, who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy. Who satisfy your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. How many know that's the great promises in the word of God? There's benefits that come with knowing Christ, and he begins to talk, and he lists these five benefits. David here is encouraging himself. He's reminding himself of the benefits that come with knowing Christ. Let me remind you. Let me speak to your spirit, man, this morning. There is a freedom that comes in knowing Jesus this morning. There's a right you have to live free and to be free as a Christian this morning by simply as Christ being your Savior, you have the right to walk in the freedom that is provided through you through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have the right to be free. The devil is a liar. You're not meant to live in bondage. You're not meant to live discouraged. You're not meant to live in a place where you do not have freedom. It is a benefit of the kingdom of God. We don't live by the economy of this world anymore, but an economy that trumps this world, that's higher than this world. There's a law that's higher than the natural law. It's the spiritual law. It is the law that Jesus set forth. And I declare we're free this morning. We have the right to live in freedom this morning. And so when we begin to list these benefits and begin to see these benefits, I want to talk this morning about the the. the uh, third blockage that comes into our hearts. It's the, it's the bitterness that comes from the place of unforgiveness. It's bitterness. It comes from being hurt. It comes from what others have done to us. It comes from being angry and not getting over the pain that life gives us at times. And bitterness can lead to a lifestyle of unforgiveness and it begins to block areas of our life. It comes from offense. It comes from anger towards man or towards God. When we live in a place of bitterness, we, we, we live in this place where there's the blockage of the freedom of God in our life. But I'm here to tell you that the way that you overcome bitterness is to understand the power of forgiveness. And they understand the power of forgiveness can set us free from all of the pain and unforgiveness and offenses and anger that lays down in the middle of our heart. It frees us from the hurt, the pain, the abuse, the injustice. And believe me, many people have a right to be hurt, have a right to be offended or angry. But I'm here to tell you that if we learn what true divine forgiveness is, We learn how to respond correctly to pain and offense and abuse and injustice in our life. Before you could ever forgive anybody, you have to understand the fact of the power of forgiveness. When we come into a relationship with Christ, we receive divine forgiveness. You're here this morning, and if you're a believer, you have participated and received divine forgiveness from Christ. It's divine. It's not natural. You didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. And matter of fact, you sure don't deserve it. But it's divinely done and divinely imparted into our lives. Matter of fact, divine forgiveness comes two ways. 
One, properly understanding the power of being forgiven. You'll never be able to forgive until you first understand that you've been forgiven. Until you've understand of what it's taken to forgive you. Until you've experienced the mercy of forgiveness. You can never bestow forgiveness. And then knowing how to forgive. First of all, number one, we must understand the power of being forgiven. Why is this so vital that we learn the practice of forgiveness? Because the forgiven always forgives. Psalms 1, 18 says this, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though, you are, are, though they are red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. If you go on reading in that verse, so, uh, Isaiah 1.18, it says this. It says, if you are willing and obedient. In other, words, in other words, forgiveness is something we walk in in obedience. Being able to forgive is an obedient to Christ. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We forgive because Christ forgave us. We forgive because our sin kept us away from God and he forgave us and everyone around us deserves the same right to be forgiven. You've done things, they've done things, but the truth is in humanity we've all fallen short and we all deserve forgiveness this morning. Now I want you to see something this morning. Number one, he removes all of our transgressions. Look down at verse 10 of Psalms 103. It says, he has dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are as high above the earth, so great is the mercy toward those who, who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has, look, look, removed our transgressions from us. We must understand he has removed your transgression. He has casted it as far as the east is to the west. Now when we think of that, we think of our, in our natural mind, we think of spear. That, that if east and west is spears. And if you go west long enough and east long enough, you'll eventually be going south. That's not true. The word here is, is, doesn't mean spear. It means infinite. In other words, it continues as far east as east can go. And far west as west can go. There is no end to it. How many are grateful that your sin has been cast as far as the east is to the west? There's an infinity about it, about the forgiveness of God. He speaks of sin and iniquities. There's three words that deal with sin. Most of the words of the meaning of sin in Scripture mean miss the mark. That's what it means. It means to miss the mark. It means that, that he has removed our transgressions. Remove, the word there means to remove from relationship, to, re, to recede, or to, uh, uh, it really means the distance, um, it means the distance uh, between. In other words, he's removed our transgression. He's removed our relationship from sin. It's receded. By the blood of Jesus, sin has receded in our life. He's removed its impact in our life. He's removed the transgressions of our life. And so we must understand that he has removed our transgression. Now, what is the difference between transgressions and iniquities? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Iniquities means to be bent toward. It comes from the heart. It comes from the soul, which is iniquities are attached to the mind, the will, and the emotions. Your iniquities are attached to your mind, will, and emotions. They're inward. Matter of fact, they're inward. They are what is called an inward motivation. In other words, iniquity means to, uh, uh, how do you say it, be unequitable. It means that to have iniquity in your heart or in your life means to be unequitable to the holiness of God. In other words, the holiness of God here, and you're here, and when we live with iniquity in our hearts, we are unequitable. We are, we are not measured. We are not the same as God would have us to be. 
And so iniquities are those things that come out of our heart. They come out of our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions. It means the, what we're bent toward. And I'll share more with that in just a minute. Transgression is an outward movement toward sin. In other words, it's, 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 the, uh, it's the only English word we have that would, for the meaning would be trespass. Transgression means to trespass a boundary. So when you sin and, and you give in to sin, uh, you miss the mark by transgression a boundary. The word of God gives us boundaries. How many know the word gives us boundaries? And so when we sin, there's a sin that if I sin against Tyler and uh, say uh, I, I sinned against him in some way, I have crossed a boundary. I've transgressed against him. It's a transgression of a boundary. It's, it's sin being, being crossing the boundary of what is to the word of God. And there's two ways that you deal with each of them. Iniquity has to do with the soul, and the way that you deal with iniquity is through the power of, of, uh, of sanctification. In other words, as you apply the word of God to your life and the process of your life, he begins to give you power to overcome the iniquity that is in your life. And the iniquity in your life comes from what you're bent toward. I've met people that are bent toward certain things because it's in their family, it's in their generation. Grandpa was an alcoholic, daddy was an alcoholic, and so they struggle with alcohol. It is iniquity that's passed on from generation to generation. It has to do with the soul. It has to do with the wounding of the soul. It has to do with the mind, the will, and emotions. And that deliverance can come, transgression can come. He can remove those iniquities, but it's removed through the power of sanctification. It's by every day waking up and allowing the word of God to be Lord of your life. What are you bent toward this morning? What sin are you bent toward? What sin had held your life before you come to Christ that was, that was in the soul that was deeper than just committing a sin? A sin. And so we have to understand that iniquities are those things in our life that have to do with, with that. But the way we overcome transgression by transgressing or trespassing a boundary of sin is through a life of repentance. So when I sin, if I sin against Tyler, I have transgressed against him. The way I restore that is I repent. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? And I'm restored back in right relationship with God. I transgressed and he forgave me. God forgave me. I repented. Now I'm back in right relationship with God. So he has removed our iniquities and he's removed our transgressions. How many are thankful that your transgressions are removed? Your iniquities are removed. And so we overcome it with, listen, is, is the power of sanctification. You say, well, I don't know about all that sanctification stuff. Well, you need to read Galatians chapter 5. Because Paul speaks of sanctification in, in uh, Galatians 4 and 5. The process in which God engages, listen, God engages our iniquities with the word of God. And so when we accept it as truth, we become transformed. Galatians 5 tells us this. It tells us that, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, right? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What is the flesh's passions and desires? It's the, it's the iniquity of a man. Your iniquities, your passions come out of the iniquities of your heart. Your mind, will, and emotions. It's what's expressed. It comes out. It's, what's, it's what comes out in a man. So when we, when we are Christ, if we are walking in sanctification, God is dealing with our passions and with our desires that are rooted in our iniquities. And that's why the Bible goes on to tell us that if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And what's that telling us? If you want to overcome iniquity in your life, 
The sin that you're bent toward, the thing that draws you away from God, the sin that it is, whether it be lust, whether it be uh, uh, other sins, whatever it draws you away, whatever causes you to practice sin in your life, whatever causes you to walk away from God, he says the way that you overcome that is that if you are Christ, you have to crucify the flesh every day, your passions and desires, and then you have to walk in the spirit and walk after the spirit and live in the spirit to overcome it. It's not some magic that comes. It doesn't come by just crying at the altar for a moment. This is the process of forgiveness. This is understanding that forgiveness comes. Christ has provided victory for us. And so trans... Help me, Jesus. An example is the difference between lust and adultery. Lust comes out of the heart, which comes out of the iniquity of our lives, which becomes, can be a practice of in our life. But adultery is the trespass of sin. It is the outward expression. It's the action of sin. It's the transgression of sin. We always try to deal with the transgression instead of dealing with the iniquity. And the problem is we have people walking around in church who, who like to say, I'm sorry, but they won't deal with the stuff that is on the inside of them that's causing them to walk in a disobedience anyway. Y'all help me this morning. And we got a church full of people who don't understand forgiveness because you've never allowed God to heal the thing in your life that has caused you to continue to run back to the vomit that has produced the mess in your life that you're experiencing today. And we come to the altar and say, God, I'm sorry I committed adultery. I'm sorry I lied. I'm sorry I cheated. And we deal with the trespass. But why are you cheating? Why are you having adulterous affairs? Why do you give in to lust? It's because you've not dealt with the iniquity. But here, David reminds himself in verse 10, Jesus, God, has removed our iniquities. He has casted them as far as the east is from the west. But you've got to walk in the spirit every day. Woo, help me. Am I making sense or am I confusing you? Now, let me say something again that I've said 300 times behind this pulpit, and I'm going to preach it until my last breath at this church. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. Uh-huh, okay. Now all your folks are confused. Let me tell you what that implies. By saying I'm a sinner saved by grace, it implies I continue to practice sin and carry the same sin, a lifestyle of sin, and, have no, and believe that I have a relationship with God. Wrong, ain't wrong. I am not a sinner saved by grace. I'm not a sinner saved by grace because I don't practice sin. Now, I sin, but I don't practice sin. I don't wake up every day, and my life is bent toward the iniquities in my life. And occasionally, I'll turn to God. No, 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 no. I've been free this morning. I am not a sinner saved by grace. I don't practice sin. If I sin, I live a lifestyle of repentance. I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to my life and to make things right with God. And if I do not listen and continue to not listen, then each voice gets harder and harder to hear. And finally, you're living in the place of the practice of sin in your life. And all of a sudden, you're running back to the iniquities that got you so messed up in the first place. Help us, Jesus. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at this. I'm not mad. But what I am is I'm a saint that sins. It implies the level of my relationship with God depends on my obedience to his word. You want to go deeper in God, you be more obedient. People sit in my office and say, well, I can't feel God. That's not my fault. That's not my fault. Well, I ain't getting nothing out of that preaching. Yeah, of course. You know why? Because you're living in your iniquity. You're giving your iniquity first place. Now, I'm not the greatest preacher in the world, but my goodness, there's got to be something you get on a Sunday. Even if it's just open your copy of God's Word. <laughs> if that's all you get, that's fine. But what I'm here to tell you is, is this. I, I am a saint that sins. It also implies that I don't produce, I don't practice sin in my life. But I have a life of repentance and sanctification in which I walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. 
which means I, I spend time at this altar. I spend time at my home altar. Which means I try to listen to the Holy Spirit when he says, you're going right and you should be going left. No. You're going left and you should be going right. No pun intended. The problem is, in our time, men like to deal with their transgressions, but they don't like to deal with their iniquities. Let me just tell you, we do God's ER here. And uh, that's what God's ER is about. It's helping you deal with the iniquities of your life. It's not some magic potion. It's not some super spiritual thing. It's about you getting real with God and becoming confronting the things that are in your life that have kept you back from living in victory and freedom. Listen, you can never, ex- you can never extend forgiveness until you understand how you have been forgiven. And that is where the church is. That's why we are not a merciful church. Uh, not this church, but as a whole. That is why we are unmerciful to people. That's why we can lift our hands and thank Jesus on Sunday and hate our neighbor that we sit by at work on Monday. I don't know if I'm getting there. You say, well, why does that matter? What does it, you know, see the Pharisees, what they tried to do, they tried to promote this ideology uh, that, that, you know, as long as you Uh, uh, deal with your transgressions that you're fine. But Jesus came around and messed them all up. They had all these little teachings about it. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus showed up and said, hey boys, I've got got good news for you. It's not okay just to deal with your transgressions. On the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, you know the law says not not to transgress or commit adultery. But I say unto you, If you have lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery. Lust is the iniquity. The adultery is the action. The Pharisees wanted to stone the adultery, but never deal with... That's why Jesus said that on the outside, you're like a clean cup that has been washed. I'm paraphrasing. On the inside, you're as dirty as a dirty cup on the inside. And we have learned to play the church game. We have learned to come in and be clean on the outside, but never deal with the iniquities that so ensnare us on the inside. So we have a church that don't know how to forgive and don't understand forgiveness. I wish somebody would help me this morning. Jesus said this in a sermon on the mount. You say not to commit murder. But I say to you, if you hate your brother, you have committed murder already. Murder is the act. Hatred is the iniquity. I hate him, but I've not murdered him. (laughs) What's the greater sin? I'll tell you what the greater sin is. The greater sin is the iniquity. Because the iniquity keeps you from being free in God. I have a preacher friend that tried to get, I won't tell you what denomination it was, but he tried to get licensed in a, in a mainstream denomination. When he was 19 years old, he was married for three months. That's a short, that's a short marriage. Just enough time to build up a good fight. He divorced her, or she divorced him. And so at age 27, he got saved eight years later. And the denomination that he tried to get licensed through told him, said, we can't give you a license because you've been married before. He said, so what you're telling me is that everything I did before Jesus, I have to pay for now. In other words, my sins really haven't been forgiven because I'm not, I'm not being able to serve the Lord today. He said, you know what? I should have just murdered her. Because in the state of Kentucky, that... Uh, 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 you know, negligent homicide is only five years and I'll be out with three years of good behavior. So I should have just murdered her and she'd be done with and dead because her excuse was she's, you got a wife that's still living. Look, I understand all that. I understand you got to have boundaries. I understand you got to have rules. But the truth was how, how ridiculous is that? He said, if I'd have murdered her, I could have served my prison sentence and be out and I'd be sitting here today. I'd have a murder charge and served in prison, but you'd been brazen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. How God has redeemed him. Here's your license. Y'all see the hypocrisy in that? 
We, we, we love to hold things on people's lives. We love to chain them and handcuff them to their past. He cannot be used anymore because he did this and she done that or she used to be this way and he used to be that way. I, I just told you that Jesus removes our sin and iniquity as far as the east is from the west. Woo! Be free this morning. I said be free. I said be free this morning. <laughs> I got, how many of you ever been back to a high school reunion? I'm getting off. I shouldn't, I'm getting off. Well, I don't care anyway. How many of y'all have been back to a high school reunion? Huh? How many ever gone back? How many's got that same group talking about the same thing that you did 35, 40 years ago, and some of you 80, 90? <laughs> You got that same group. They never came out of the high school mindset. Matter of fact, they come back and say, hey, let's go re, let's go renew, let's go dad, let's go do what we used to do. Dude, you're 60. You did it when you were 20. It's not gonna have the same effect. You'll fall asleep in the middle of it. <laughs> But they always want to remind you where I went back to my high school reunion once. And they want to tell you, like, what you used to do and how you, they were always, oh my God. They reminded me of everything I did, how I did it. Hey, won't you do it again? Come on, come on, bro, old time's sake. I know you found religion. I didn't find religion, I found Jesus. There's a difference. I had one friend, he came up, and he was intoxicated, and at the reading, he's going, hey, come on, hey, pastor, he's, he just called me pastor. He said, come on, Shane, let's dance like you used to, man. You used to be able to cut a rug. And I could, I could dance, y'all, I could really dance. I said, I dance. I just switched partners. I no longer dance for the world. I got a new dance. I dance before the Lord. But there's always those who want to hold you to what you used to be. And I'm here to tell you, you are forgiven this morning and released from what you used to be. God has released us from our transgressions and our iniquities this morning. And we have been set free by the blood of Jesus Isaiah 53, 3, it's a messianic chapter. It said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes, we are healed. That's perfect atonement. In other words, we were wounded for his transgression. Transgression, what I say it was? It was outward movement. I was, he was wounded. He had outward wounds for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. What is bruises? They're inward bleeding. What are our iniquities? They're inward. They're inward. They're the soul. They can't be seen. Thank God. Listen, isn't that awesome that the word of God has perfect atonement for our lives? He has removed our transgression. He has wiped them out. Second of all, the Bible tells us there, as you read, read there, Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake, I will not remember your sins. In other words, not only does he remove our transgressions, but he remembers our sin no more. Whoo! <laughs> Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. Let me read this to you. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It says this, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, that's their transgressions, and their sins, and their lawless deeds. Now, some of you may have transgression as a translation. Their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. In other words, your transgressions and your iniquities, he will remember no more. In other words, it means to recall, to bring something up for use, to study a test, now, 
When I read this, it makes me think of the hereafter. To remember, to recall. The older you get, you walk into a room and you say to yourself, what am I here after? (laughs) Let me give you the root of what this word means. This is powerful if you'll get this. It means this. It means to be mindful of. To be aware of. Caution. Resistance to trust. In other words, to remember, to recall, to be mindful of. To recall so that you can reward or punish. Listen, Jesus doesn't judge us. He doesn't punish or reward us based on our past sins. That is put under the blood. But here's the key word in that verse. Even I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will remember, I will not remember your sins. Isaiah 43, 25, I will not remember your sins. What's that mean? It means I will. It means it's a choice. He chooses not to remember our sins. Do you know forgiveness is a choice? To forgive, you have to choose to forgive. I'll be in counseling and folks will continue to bring the same thing up. And a spouse will say, you have to stop bringing that up. And the other person will say, well, I'm not God. I can't forget. Let me give you a theology lesson here. The Bible never says that God forgets all your sins. It says he chooses not to remember them. In other words, we can't say God forgets because we turn around and say one of the attributes of God is omniscience. means he knows everything. Which is it? Does he forget or does he know everything? What you have to understand is, is that God, what God, God always chooses not to remember your sins. It's a choice. If we understand that our forgiveness came from the fact that God remembers our sins no more, then we have to understand that it's not that we forget what people do to us to forgive. We have to choose not to remember what people do to us. And the way you know you're free from that is that when you begin to deal with them again, if you're always basing your relationship with them based on what they've done in their past, You have not forgiven them because you're remembering, you're choosing to remember them, to hold them, to reward or punish of the past of what they've done. I don't know if that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. Now, guys, how many know your wives never forget? Men, how many know you all forget? I mean, I go to sleep and I forget everything that's happened. Must be a reset button or something. Because if you asked me in the morning what you did yesterday, I'd be like, mm, I'd think about it for a minute. But that old wife, she'll pull that card out from 1989. She'll say, you remember when you said and you did? My, my daughter, Savannah, never forgets anything. And I'm telling you, one day we were talking and she pulled out something from like 1990. Uh, 2003 or something. She said, you said that to me and you looked at me and you said it. You were wearing that black sweatshirt you had on. I'm like, where's this come from? (laughs) Men or women are different, we know. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thirdly, and this is the last one. He releases us from our iniquities. He removes our transgressions and iniquities. He re- he re- He remembers our sin no more. Y'all see that or is that me? Okay. Just want to make sure. I have some kind of spiritual experience up here and Not everybody's a part of it. (laughs) Just want to make sure y'all in. Okay. (laughs) 
Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Who forgives, the word forgive, the root word is to release, to pardon. It means to have a debt that's been paid. It doesn't mean to forgive of a debt that still remains. It means to to be pardoned. It means that that debt has been paid for. Your iniquities have been removed. Your iniquities, he remembers no more. Your iniquities, he releases this morning. He releases your iniquity. In other words, the inward bent sin that you're bent toward, the addictions, the things in your life that you are, that you're the seed of your passions and your desires that have overtaken your life, the thing that has caused an inequability to the holiness of God. That inward bent in your life, that besetting sin, he has divinely removed it. He has divinely released you this morning. And here's the thing. The devil always tries to make you think that you're always going to have it. Well, you're always going to have that. You might as well just live with it. Your daddy was an angry man. Your grandpa was an angry man. You just have to live with it. You're angry. No, you don't have to live with it. Cousins had addictions. My whole family had a full of anger. I just got to live with this part of my... Listen, we do this with culture. I want to tell you, we do this with culture. We say, well, that's just what blacks do. Oh, that's just what white people do. Oh, that's just what what Hispanic people do. We attach sins and addictions and we attach labels to ethnic groups. And we say, well, that's just how they are. And we excuse it and allow it to be a a particular way. I'm here to tell you he's released your iniquities this morning. You don't have to be bound to nothing. The devil is a liar. Your shortcomings don't have to stay there. Your sickness don't have to stay there. Your mental issues don't have to stay there. I've always been bent towards something, but I'm here to tell you that I'm free this morning because I've been released this morning. John 20 and 23, Jesus said these words. He said this to his disciples in the context of of the great commission of going out and preaching the gospel to the whole world. He says, if you forgive sin of any, they are forgiven. But if they retain their sin, any of them, they are retained. Now, some has mis- mistranslated this as, that, as, as though it's, it's, it means something different. But what it really means is this. It means that people, uh, when they... they When they receive Christ, they are released. They are forgiven. If they receive Christ and believe, then they're released. If they don't believe, then they retain their sin. I'm here to tell you as a representation of the gospel this morning, if you will believe in Christ and Jesus, he will remove your transgressions and iniquities. He will remember no more your transgressions and iniquity. And you can leave here this morning being released from your transgressions and iniquity. That's the power of forgiveness this morning. Adam, would you come? By understanding the power of forgiveness and being forgiven, if we don't understand that, we will struggle with forgiveness, forgiving others. We will struggle with forgiving others. The fact that he removes sin is God's grace. Only he has the power to forgive sin, right? I mean, no, that's the grace of God. The fact that he doesn't remember our sin no more, that is a choice to forgive. The fact that he has released us from our iniquities, that's the power of God. I'm here to tell you the power of God can set you free this morning. Power of God can come on you just like it did that actor in the middle of a godless society standing on a stage mocking Christ presence of God came down on him and the power of God transformed his life through the word of God and the promises of the word of God Jesus has the power to set you free this morning 
And we can never begin to talk about forgiveness of others until we first understand what it means to be forgiven yourself. And what happens is when we have a wrong idea of how we're forgiven, we have a wrong idea of how to forgive. Because we say things like this. We think that forgiveness is minimizing the offense that someone has done to us. No. We think that when we forgive, we're letting them off the hook. We minimize the fact of how bad it was and how much it hurt or the pain they really caused. And what was done to you may not have been right. And it may have caused harm. But to choose to forgive, you choose not to hang on to the offense because it robs you of your freedom. People don't forgive because they think it minimizes what people did to them. They always want that up front. They always want, to, want them to be reminded how bad they were. No, I'm telling you, forgiveness has the ability to say, I forgive you because you are not going to hold on to me. I hope that makes sense. By not understanding it, stand with me if you would this morning. Forgiveness is not, listen, by forgiving, you're not reconciling. People think that in order for, to forgive somebody, you have to reconcile with someone. That's not true. Sometimes people have hurt you. You don't owe, you don't owe them a relationship again. And if somebody's been offended, whoever the offender is, if you've hurt somebody, the way you know that they're truly concerned and wants to be forgiven, restored, the offender has to repent and change from what they've done. They have to pay restitution to make things right, if possible. And thirdly, they have to rebuild trust. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. There are people that have hurt me in my life, and I've had to keep them at a distance. But I forgave them because I'm not going to go to bed every night worrying about the fact of what they've done to me. I'm not going to gear my life in other relationships based because somebody didn't treat me right. So I'm going to judge every man by the experience that I had with that one person. Your wife, you've been abused by a husband. You've never forgiven them. You'll look at your new husband through the prism of that relationship. And you'll hold them responsible for what the previous one did if you're not healed. That's why you end up being married 19 times. Because you've not understood the power of forgiveness. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus will set you free. We keep waiting on people to apologize that are never going to apologize. Reconciliation takes two, but forgiveness is a one-player game. Our freedom... My freedom's not going to be in the hands of somebody else. And forgiveness is not forgetting what happens. The Bible never says God forgets. It says he chooses not to remember. And maybe you're here this morning and you need to choose not to remember. Maybe you're here this morning... You just needed to be reminded. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. For he forgives our iniquities. Now listen, the same verse, he forgives our iniquities. And what comes after the forgiving of iniquities? Who heals all our diseases. There may be people here this morning, your sickness is attached to unforgiveness. 
It's attached to your iniquities. So as Adam sings this morning, we're just going to take a moment. Maybe you need to find a place at this altar. Reestablish your forgiveness. Reestablish your understanding of forgiveness. I've been heavy the last two days. Yesterday I was very heavy in this message because I just talked to God all day about the fact God, I'll never want to take your forgiveness for granted in my life. Maybe you just need to come this morning. Maybe you, maybe one of these areas you need to, you need to allow God to work in. Maybe you're struggling with the fact that he's removed past sin and you keep punishing yourself because you can't forgive yourself. Maybe you're you're having a hard time choosing to forgive. Said he remembered no more. He said, I will remember no more. He chose. Maybe you need to come to the place where you surrender the choice to forgive somebody in your life that's hurt you. Maybe you need to come to the place where you need to be released from the iniquities in your life. Maybe there's been things that have held on to you that have fought you and you continue to battle them and you continue to give in to them. But I want you to come and lay those iniquities down at this altar today. And it could be something simple as being tormented by your past or tormented by a secret sin or tormented by something else. And if that's you this morning, if any of these things, if anything that you have this morning in relation to forgiveness, forgiven of yourself, forgiven of others, being forgiven, I want you to come this morning. Pastor Adam, would you sing? Just come. Find a place. I'm not going to pray for you this morning. I just want you to find a place at this altar and begin to kneel before the Lord and just begin to give those things in your heart to the Lord. Come on. Come on, church. Come on. Come on. Who'd come this morning? Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.